we are seeing stupid salaries, great terms, excellent flexibility, and an industry leading employment contracts. It's very exciting time. And I think the, the opportunity for junior lawyers, um, and, and lawyers at all levels, but particularly junior lawyers, is not there isn't one path anymore. There's not one path um, in law and there's not one path to in-house. There are lots of paths. Welcome to the Council Podcast. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I'm passionate about all things in-house and I'm so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. Have you ever wondered what it's like to work with a legal recruiter? What is the hidden job market? And where are the best in-house jobs advertised? My guest today brings light to all of these questions and more. Lauren Dare is the Executive Director and National Leader of Dare Recruitment. I've known Lauren for well over 10 years now, and she truly does have a passion for building a future-focused and resilient legal industry. I've invited Lauren on the show at this time of the year, as it is usually after the flurry of promotions, salary increases, and the end of the performance cycle, that lawyers who are ready to make a career change start to engage with legal recruiters. You might be considering a change for yourself in this very moment. Maybe this episode is the sign you've been waiting for. Enjoy my conversation with Lauren Dare. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks very much, Mel, for having me. Very excited to be here. It is a true joy and a pleasure to have you on the podcast for a number of reasons. The first is that we've known each other for some time. We met at uni. We also started Law Firm Life together many moons ago, and we were in the trenches really from the start. So we... Our friendship has been forged in the fire in in some in some respects, and I love that you know ten plus years later I have a podcast talking about legal stuff, and you can come and speak on it, and that that's just my pleasure. And also, you're actually our first non-practicing lawyer guest, if that makes sense, because of wow. course you are a specialist in what you do, but it is not as a practitioner at this point in your career. And uh, I thought that that was kind of cool when I was reflecting. But I have asked you to speak today because we're going to deep dive on all things recruitment, career planning, transitioning from private practice to in-house, all of the big things that I know people would just love to ask you. I'm going to ask the questions. So, (laughs) So that's why you're here, my love. But before we get there, I have to ask you my first question. If you did have a limitless credit card, you didn't have to repay it, but you could only spend it at one shop, what shop would that be and why? That's really interesting because I think in years gone past, I might have had a very different answer and it might have been somewhere on the Champs-Élysées or something very... um swanky wanky but um i think at the moment i am so deep in sort of automation and tech uh in the legal recruitment space and the legal industry that i just want to go online and buy all the automation and test everything out and that's a total geek answer i realized yeah things have evolved i think perhaps over the years 
I love that. Oh my gosh, we're such adults now. I'm with you I got on that. Way more over the years, I think. Um, perhaps I would have talked about Dan Murphy's in a bottle shop once upon a time when we were at uni. But yeah, like I said, things change. <laughs> Speaking of uni, that's where we met, as I said, and we started life in big law together mm. as well. I do have the benefit of, of knowing you and knowing the answer to this question, but for the audience, I'd love you to just tell us a little bit about you and your legal career journey. Well, I guess everybody has quite unique journeys uh, in the law, but perhaps mine's a little more uh, unconventional because I've wound up outside of the law as a service provider to the law rather than a legal practitioner. So I started, as you said, with Cause Chambers Westgarth out of the Brisbane office as a graduate. I did my rotations through there and settled ultimately as a commercial litigator. I really love the disputes side of the law um, and through family connections and other things and and general interest, I realised though that um, sort of commercial litigation wasn't perhaps the trajectory for an in-house lawyer either and uh and i'd sort of heard word on the street is that if you need to do that you need to get some early experience in in the transactional space so i did some of my rotations in energy and resources and planning and environment and um and tried to have sort of a, a breadth of understanding across some of those Um, transactional spaces and and ultimately then moved in-house into the resource sector. So worked for a very colourful and uh, prominent figure in our community, certainly in Australia, and that was for Clive Palmer. That was truly a a career highlight and a total honour to be part of the legal in-house team there. It was everything you would expect if you know anything about his litigious approach to legal management and it was a dream it it really was um in terms of the types of matters i got to work on and and so on but um it was it was the deep end we did international commercial arbitration appearing before high court justices on my own while the other side was a global Mm -hmm. international law firm and no time to prepare and just show up and and do it so i mean it was it was ultimately the, the deepest end of all but it was fantastic um I then realised it probably wasn't compatible, that particular environment for a family life and and that was something that was important to me and and I'd started to learn around sort of where I might want to go in my career because my husband actually, who was also a a top tier practitioner, left the law and went into legal recruitment. He then, uh, my mind was open to all the different types of opportunities that lawyers had before them and... um, and I ultimately then joined Anthony and we started our own legal recruitment agency in 2015, uh, realising that perhaps my calling was really going to be helping lawyers find their calling. Uh, and uh, then had some had some babies and uh, had a little time out and that business now has been going for... Uh, almost seven years now. So yeah, Dare Legal Recruitment is, is seven years old and um, gone from strength to strength. But now my rotten bloody husband, he's a shocker. He's um, gone back to be a practitioner. I think he'd um, <laughs> bloody drunk the Kool-Aid and I listened to his own advice and realised that everyone does have a place in the law and perhaps he exited too early and he hadn't just found the right fit. I think in his journey through legal recruitment, he realised where his right place was in 
in the law and that was to run his own boutique practice so he's off doing that and um and i am in the chair leading dare recruitment so that's the journey here that's that's a lot in that you've just taken me on a, a trip down memory lane and i've got so many wonderful memories of knowing you and being a part of your life throughout those stages and i have a really i don't know if it's a fond memory but i have a really stark memory of you telling me within like your first few weeks working for Clive Palmer that you were in WA I think it was appearing in like the Supreme Court like it was it was a big deal by yourself without counsel I was I don't know what the word is I was in awe I was shocked for you I was thinking of myself in that own situation and I wouldn't have actually been able to do it so when you talk about the deep end from private practice into in-house I don't know anyone that's done it more deep end than you (laughs) and and that's a that's a very intense experience I'm sure look it was an intense experience but it was um the most incredible learning journey and I will be forever grateful and forever richer for that experience um and I think that that is something that uh junior lawyers there is a fear that you go in-house and there is so much you don't know and that that's real and and you should be a little bit scared of it but you should also be excited by that challenge and you have to back yourself if you're leaving private practice and you've had the comforts of that environment and and it seems odd to talk about the comfort of a law firm but i can assure you that if you're thinking about moving in-house there are comforts of a law firm that you won't enjoy in-house and uh equally though that should be really exciting because you've got much more scope to sort of extend your wings and really test the limits of your legal prowess and develop the skills that you wouldn't otherwise if you were sort of under the thumb, so to speak, of a, a very rigid um, hierarchical team. That, that's exactly it, isn't it? You, you really you have to throw yourself in the air and then trust that you can fly and trust that you've got the wings because there won't be layers and layers of partner, senior associate, etc. reviewing your work before it goes out necessarily. It's just not the luxury of that time in the in-house space for the seniors to supervise heavily. So if you, if you take up the challenge, you're kind of going to be on your own a little bit, which is really empowering, I, I found. And I think a lot of personalities really enjoy that. I think you did right, Mel, in that it is really exciting and it is, but it is about sort of personality and planning. And I think the personality components of figuring out whether or not you are the right type of person to succeed in, in different in-house environments and figuring out what the different in-house environment and opportunities look like and, and who are the types of people that succeed there and, and not just succeed there, but are the really happy and comfortable there. I think you can have a long career in there. All of that does come down to sort of a bit of personality, but it's also preparation. So taking the leap in-house is something that needs to be done quite strategically in my view and with measured consideration in terms of timing and skill and targets for those in-house opportunities Mm. uh, and and really doing your DD essentially on the types of companies that you would like to work for. Let's pivot and deep dive into that because that this is exactly the heart of where I want to get your expertise and your knowledge where a a lawyer is looking to move in-house 
for the first time and they're a little unsure. It's a bit of a mystery. Do I go on seek? Do I approach the companies directly? Where are these roles advertised? Who are they looking for? How there's so much in there. So if I if I take you, I'm sure this happens on a daily basis. If I take you back to a time this week when private practice lawyer has come to you and they're pretty junior and and they're keen for a change, what's the conversation that you have with them? What's the first step in that journey in working with a, a specialist recruiter like yourself? Well, I think the first thing that always happens when we speak with a junior candidate who's considering a path in-house is really congratulating them on seeing the opportunity that is to put a strategy together by speaking with a legal recruiter. I think often people get a bit click happy and hit apply now, apply now, apply now, often to jobs that don't even advertise what the company is. And so they sit on seek and they just sort of spam, um, have a spam pot mentality and just spam the, uh, the universe with their CV. So the first thing I'd say about that is there's a phrase in recruitment, um, if you've seen somebody's CV more than once and you know that you, you know, everyone, it's a small community, the legal community really, if, uh, and, and your CV can get a stink to it is the expression. So oh, we don't you want do that. not want to have a stinky <laughs> CV people. No. So you need to protect your CV. Uh, you need to protect also your privacy and confidentiality in terms of approaching the marketplace and you are ultimately the commodity, you are the product and you need to protect it. I would first say, great job not being a spam bot and sending your CV everywhere. Let's be a little more strategic than that. And and the second thing is, it's really important to get sort of a market overview. So understanding where the market sits now in terms of your local area, as well as nationally and internationally, uh, and, and having a really good understanding of that, of the marketplace generally, much as if, you know, you, this is a DD process. So having the conversation around um, and getting some insight around the market locally, nationally and internationally, then discussing with your recruiter in detail about what you want your life to look like. Not your, just your career. Bigger. Yeah, big picture. Not just your career. Big, big picture. It's like... Uh, we've got to peel back the layers and go, okay, so what do you want your life to look like? Because if it's living locally and sending your kids to a local school, etc., that will discount some opportunities that perhaps have, you know, travel as a component, etc. Although I suspect many of the roles are now looking a little different. Yeah. But, um, but I think there are things that you need to figure out. What do you want your life to look like? Um, and if you've got some inflexible parameters around that that's really important to know and then to um, figure out yeah what do you want your life to look like um, from a day-to-day perspective who are you as a person what is your unique value proposition Um, and developing that with a legal recruiter so understanding why you over someone else and we, we always talked about that as you know your your personal competitive advantage but it's really why are you the valuable asset why do I invest in you over someone else and you need to be really clear about what that is for yourself and some of that is personality driven some of that is skills driven and some of that is sort of potential driven and so we look at those types of things and put them all into the uh, into the uh, boiling pot and we figure out we spit out this kind of result and ultimately that the, the understanding where you fit into into the landscape is is really the first part of it 
And can you help people with that if they're coming to you with just no idea? Like, Lauren, I, I'm just so lost. I don't know what I want to do. I thought I wanted this type of law firm life. I got it. I don't love it. I've tried a different practice area. I've tried a different partner. I've tried a different city. Probably 30% of the people who walk through our doors have that story. So they don't know what's next. They just know they're not happy or fulfilled where they are. And they know that the path that they're on is not the path that they want to stay on. So it's something that you workshop and you brainstorm and you strategize and you get to the bottom of with your recruiter. You want to build a partnership with any recruiter that is very much focused on the long the long game. What is your career as a whole? What does it look like as a whole? And work with somebody across your career. It's not just this transactional swing me a CV, I fought it on and hopefully something sticks. If that is the type of experience you're having with a recruiter, move on, find someone else because they must be advisors, they must be consultants and they must be your you know, career partner. Anything short of that and I think, yeah, I think keep looking. And so, yes, they going back to your question, Mel, a third of people are probably confused about next steps and, and we work through that. And for the balance, they probably have some idea around maybe the, the ultimate goal, but not really quite sure of what the next steps are or what they have to do to to get to the end goal. Is it further education? Is it changing practice areas? Is it changing firms or is it doing volunteering, etc.? And so we put those steps in place and that's part of, again, any good legal recruiter's you know, service offering. That must be very rewarding for you to work with people in, in such a in such a personal way. Because us lawyers take our careers very seriously. Oh, that's <laughs> and right. our identity is wrapped up in them sometimes. And you get to help people untangle the stories they've told themselves or they've been told about what a successful legal career might look like. And actually have the courage and it is courageous to open your mind and be curious and Come at it from a place of what you said earlier. You know, you said the word happy. Like, what's going to make you happy? Like, is that is that not the most satisfying part of your job? Oh, it's absolutely the most satisfying part of your job, uh, of our job, and, and and it should be of any legal recruiter's job. But it's it's really interesting because we have kind of been on a bit of a deep dive as a company, reevaluating, you know, our vision, mission, values, all of those types of things, and and ultimately what we landed on is our our vision or our ambition is for every lawyer to love practicing the law. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. Talk about I mean, a lofty sounds, goal. It sounds you, a bit... you got to shoot for the moon, girl. Look, to love something is, is something special, right? But, but to love practicing the law, I think that there's been... People talk about practicing the law as, you know, it's almost just a triumph to succeed or to just have a job in the law and to survive another day to meet your billable targets, but they don't deeply love it. They love perhaps the social status of it or, you know, other aspects of it, but they don't actually love the doing. And that's usually because they're not in the right place. And what we believe at DARE is that there is a right place for every lawyer 
you just need the can do the want to do and perfect timing and and we, we added sort of perfect timing to that not as an afterthought but as a you know an additional piece because sometimes uh, what's right for us at one point is not right for us later. And we can have all of the can do and want to do, but if it's not right in, in terms of our family life, for example, um, then it's not the right opportunity and it's not the right place for you. And therefore a job that you might otherwise love is no longer going to be that for you. Do lawyers have to pay you for this service? The short answer is absolutely not. And if a legal recruiter in Australia asks for you to pay a fee run the other way. What you're describing is such a value add. It's like a hidden secret to find a recruiter that can speak to you in the way that that you're describing and and help you in the way that you're describing. It's like a total hidden secret. You you've said it to me before, but it's it's almost like the right recruiter, a great recruiter can be your agent. That's right. I th- That's epic. <laughs> I don't think people know that. Yeah, it's really <laughs> funny because I mean I've, like I said, we've been kind of thinking about lots of things in our business as well. And um, and something we have always said to candidates and lawyers is that agents aren't just for actors and athletes. Agents are for lawyers too. Really, the role of an agent has been someone to be that driving force. And you only have to look at sort of the, the history of, of the word agent, and it really does talk about leading and driving and a vehicle towards something. And that is the old origins of agency. But in, in modern terms, Merriam-Webster, as part of the definition, talks about a means or, or instrument by which a guiding intelligence achieves a result. And why that's meaningful for us is we've sort of incorporated that into our our way of doing recruitment. And that is that we want to be the, the guiding and driving intelligence, market intelligence that achieves the desired result, which is for you to love practicing the law. So if you can find an agency where the core values and the, the agency relationship is you know, is along that line, you're, you're in the right hands. And, and I think you have to have a method of sort of analysis, advice and advocacy, as opposed to just, you know, flicking a CV, which unfortunately has given, I think, some legal recruiters a really bad name and, and some hesitancy for lawyers to work with recruiters has been because of that reputation. And, setting that aside and trying to work with somebody who has a a true agency approach much like you would have for an actor or an athlete it's like a partnership it is a partnership and and we know you we know all of your trigger points we know the highs and lows we know what's going on in your family we know how old the kids are what the problems they're having at school we know everything about you because we get to know you and that means that the whole person turns up for work And if the whole person turns up for work and we know the whole person, that match is going to be on point. If it's that we only know the professional version or the interview, even worse, the interview version of yourself, we're never going to quite hit that on the nail on the head. I get it. I love it. And I think that you are shifting the paradigm here. I think it's really exciting. I want to tap into some of your market intelligence. You've got all of the goods, girl, and I want to give it to the people. <laughs> so so you've got, to, you've got to tell me a little bit about, you know, trends in the market that you're seeing, trends in the in-house sector. It's kind of 
bubbling away at, what are we, August 2021? What's happening? Okay, August 2021. Well, it's a a funny, bizarre little marketplace. Um, What we've seen over the last year and a half since COVID hit is um, some really interesting job trends. Of course, in the early part of last year, legal recruitment and including in-house recruitment completely died. Um, So there were no roles. That shifted. And before the private practice sector um, picked up, in-house actually picked up. And so we saw probably in in about June, July last year, uh, an uptick in in in-house vacancies. We were seeing a lot of sort of transformative change really in the in-house space um, in terms of what the teams also look like, not just that there was sort of more roles available. The diversity of roles has been quite significant. So the the new titles as well within, um, it's not just, you know, general counsel, head of legal or head of risk, for example. You're talking about, you know, head of projects, you know, project legal roles. Um, and that's really, you know, legal transformation um, within organisations or they could be head of legal communications. So, oh, I haven't heard that one. That's yeah, a great so one. Yeah, so that's an interesting title. And so we're seeing some new titles pop up. So what that means is it's probably consistent with the the other trends um, in, the, in the global marketplace, really, and that is micro-niching. So there's two schools of thought, right? So there's the generalist in-house lawyer who has to be across everything. And they're on the path to general counsel and they understand all of the um, operational um, divisions of a business and all of the legal issues that might come across um, the business, you know, yesterday, today and tomorrow. But there's also now, like I said, this sort of micro-niching where we are looking for um, someone to just do, for example, legal communications. So, you know, within privacy or a head of privacy, somebody to come in and just um, deliver um, legal advice in relation to privacy. So we're seeing some of that happen in the marketplace. So there is opportunities for people who thought that they had to be the generalist in order to move in-house, that there is probably more opportunity than ever before for specialists to move in-house. I mean, not without a careful plan, and um, and we are at the start of this trend. This is, you know, this is the beginning. So keep your ear to the ground. There's there's more in this space to come, but but that's where we're heading. We still probably have a place for the generalist in house, but we also have a place for specialists, which is a new thing. I think a lot of private practice lawyers, and particularly senior, will really enjoy hearing that news because I think there has been a sense of well I've niched myself in I've become a purely workplace health and safety employment labor whatever it might be lawyer or commercial litigation I've been doing it for eight nine years senior associate level and how how could I go and prove myself as a generalist for an in-house role? And of course you can. I know plenty of people that have. But you, I, what I'm getting a sense of from you is that well, there might be another another path, and it might be that you take those skills, that subject matter expertise, and then you find the company that's looking for that at that time. And you did say that timing can be everything. And then that's how you might be able to make that shift in. So I think that that's really good news. And, and anecdotally, I would, I would 100% agree 
I have seen so many employment law specialist roles for really cool in-house companies or departments in companies, more than I I would have ever thought. And before that, it was a real trend in privacy and data protection expertise. So there's a couple of pockets which are really emerging, uh, which I think is good news for people that maybe do love to specialise as well. So that's right. I think you. I think you're dead on there. And I think um, obviously the um, employment law space is a great example and a result of all of the changing landscape of employment. And, and what it looks like for companies, for firms, etc. And because of, of the rapid change, it tends to attract the need for specialists because they need um, technical um, on-time advice and they can't afford to get it wrong or have any delays um, with outsourced legal advice. So they want to have their questions answered every day in a board meeting um, when a new issue is raised about work from home, when a new issue is raised around what the landscape will look like and what are the implications for the business. And, and so they need that resource on hand because they're questions that are being fielded every day by the company. And so that's probably why it's trending at the moment. And and I guess what we need to look towards is is what what's next. And I think even in businesses that aren't tech businesses, outside of legal tech, fintech, etc., they do we are again seeing the need for technology lawyers and IP lawyers um, specifically in-house and again they were formed probably a very very small percentage um, but more companies are now looking towards um, having those areas of specialty um, in-house rather than outsourced to firms. Are you finding that there are more junior roles available than maybe there were when Anthony and yourself started in recruitment that kind of five, six, seven years ago? Is there any trend in in that? I'm thinking kind of, you know, one to four PAE. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the greatest changes in the sort of in-house um, slash private practice sector has, and that journey has been, there was really a tried and tested path to going in-house. The the old guard would tell you, you need minimum three to five, probably closer to five years before you could possibly be of any value in-house. But what I'm seeing again is that there's more a trend towards employing based on attitude rather than on skill and, and really sourcing the right values fit for companies and the right attitude. And so some of those things that come up a lot when I am dealing with corporate clients who are seeking in-house counsel, um, particularly at the junior level, they are looking for a couple of key traits. And that is resilience, because it's, it's not a fluffy hold your hand environment usually. It is fast paced and People will give you a quick no and um, and they need to be resilient. Um, that's the first thing. The second is sort of unflappable. We need you to be even keeled. We need you to not jump up and down. I need you to just come in here, take it all in your stride because there are usually a lot of different stakeholders and a lot of different people needing your input and often at the same time. So that kind of goes hand in hand with another skill that they find quite Um, sort of at the top of the list of of desirable skills, and that's triage skills. And we're not talking about nursing. We're not talking about showing up at the hospital and figuring out who's most in danger. 
but we also kind of are. And yeah, <laughs> if they're walking into the emergency room and, and the emergency room is your office as a lawyer and you've got someone from HR, you've got somebody from operations, you've got somebody from finance, they're all showing up at your door at the same time saying, I need this done yesterday. I need this right now. I'm walking into a meeting and I need an answer. You need to be able to triage those um those issues and um and then be able to work out and sort of figure out what is most urgent what is most important and then sort of put them in those quadrants that triaging skill is something that some people do fairly naturally but it's usually something that builds over time and um a mindfulness towards that skill is something that again that we can kind of help and and train you um on and you can sort of do lots of reading about and, and we can send you some resources about that so so triaging resilience being unflappable and and probably the last one is being adaptable something that law firms traditionally are not is adaptable they are slow moving beasts they have done it the same way forever. While we are seeing, of course, disruptors in the legal space and have for some time, there are still many law firms that still have the same model and are rolling it out day in and day out. The old guard are ready to retire and change will not happen until they do. So I think that adaptable, being adaptable, why that's important in-house as compared with, say, traditional practice of the law is really around the fact that most companies as part of their values and, and the reason that they're around is a commitment to innovation and evolution. And if they have at the core of their business being responsive to trends in technology and all of those things and, and are innovators even in their in their field, and that's how they've stayed abreast of their competitors, they need you to come along that journey. And what your job looks like when you first start in-house will usually look quite different the following year, the year after that, five years down the track, 10 years down the track, your job no longer resembles what you signed up for. And that is why they need you to be adaptable and resilient and, and, and quick to learn. And that's probably the last one is, is the quick to learn. So I need you to be able to, to get across things really quickly and, and have a, a dedication to, to learning. Tell me about the hidden job market. Is that a real thing or is that just a myth? <laughs> it sounds mythical, kind it of like does, unicorns. But there are unicorn jobs. And what's interesting about the hidden market, of course, is that it's hidden and that only a few people know about um, how to access it and how it might change your career. So essentially, the hidden job market is uh, jobs that exist or maybe don't even exist, but let's let's start with the ones that do exist, but don't ever go to market, so never are advertised. So these are companies that call someone like myself at Dare and say, Lauren, I don't want to go to market, but I've been thinking about toying with the idea of putting someone on in this kind of in this kind of role. Have you got anybody that you think would be right for us? You know our company, you know what succeeds here. What do you think? Have you got somebody or, you know, could you reach out to somebody that you know? So I then don't go to market and post an ad. I'm I'm not advertising about it, speaking about it. No one knows about it except the person that I call. 
I pick up the phone and I call that person and said, hey, I've got this Origin Energy call me today, um, BHP call me today, and they want to know, they're, they're considering putting somebody on here, would you have an interest? I think you'd be interesting for all of these reasons. I think it could be aligned with the strategy we put together around next steps for you, and it's the opportunity perhaps um, that we've been waiting for. So so that's kind of the hidden market. There's also that the other aspect of the, the hidden hidden market is that the job doesn't really exist. It is something that I create for a candidate. So a candidate comes to me, they, I, you know, I think, gee, this is a really interesting candidate, but there's no real jobs in the market at the moment. And nobody's called me saying, hey, this is the type of job. And then I think, oh, this person fits that job. No, what I do is I take them to market. So I call all of my contacts and say, hey, I'm working with this, or we put together, I guess, a, a strategy of um, targets. I then call the call those targets and say, look, I'm working with this candidate. I know you haven't got any immediate needs potentially, but I think that they'll be a fit for your team and I encourage you to make an opportunistic hire. So it's creating an opportunity from nothing. And that is probably uh, 40% of what I do. Oh my gosh, no way. So the hidden, hidden job market. The hidden, hidden. <laughs> the, double, the double unicorn. So this yes. This is such gold, Lauren. I did not realize the hidden, hidden was a thing and such a big part of your day to day. And you're almost like a matchmaker. You're like, hey, you're really great. And I think I think you'd be really great with these people. So great that like they don't even know that they need you yet. <laughs> That's exactly right. You don't even know that you two should be getting married. You don't even know it yet, but I'm going to put you on a blind date. <laughs> and I'm going to be the awkward third wheel there. Um, and, and, and we've actually started over the last nine months attending the interviews with candidates. So we go as their agent, much like an actor and athlete would have an agent. We go with them. We are your support person. We are your advocate. We are there to be next to those candidates. But equally, we are with the client and the client needs support too. So we actually act as that go between between the client and candidate and um, ease the tension, add um, comic relief, whatever we're needed for in, in the moment. Yeah, so that's part of the service as well, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a different way of approaching the market and probably because we are so connected and that's our whole job we know that as soon as we come across a candidate i'm like hang on a second i know who you need to work for and it's like a person i have in mind it may not be a company it might be a very specific person i was like hang on a second i know a person who you should work for you guys are a match and they are going to take you on this journey they used to be an x but now they're a y would you be interested in y and then we kind of go on that journey so that's probably why probably 40 percent of our our recruitment is done that way so you get to see a lot of interviews you get to sit in and conduct what do you see that really helps a candidate stand out when they're interviewing i think that probably for the junior for the junior candidates you need to do your research on the company i mean that's something that we would provide to you we would literally deliver you a document to prepare you for research. You need to know your interviewers and please, dear Lord, do not be late for the interview, but I hope that goes to that same. But you need to know your interviewers, do your research, jump on LinkedIn, figure out if you've got any connections in common, work that backwards, figure out if, you know, you were both in London at the same time, whatever, figure out a way to connect with your interviewers. And there usually is a way, like I said before, the legal fraternity is a small one 
actually and you're probably connected you've probably got some common ground find it ahead of your interview is my first tip because it helps to build rapport which is the first and most critical thing you can do in an interview build rapport make them like you that's it that's your first job and once once you've done that everyone breathes and it doesn't it, it loses that tenseness that can occur in an interview so let's 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 do that first focus on rapport uh, finding some common ground then I want you to really know the company know the company and know the questions you want answered about the company the the deeper the questions you want answered the more interesting the interview will be and the more you know engaging you'll be because you'll have you know some background etc and um, asking intelligent questions about the company and their plans for the future for example is really important so yeah knowing the company is probably the next thing and in terms of other other tips is really being yourself because if you are truly yourself in an interview and the best version of yourself i'm not saying come in and be gross and do what you do in front of your husband or your wife be the best version of yourself but be be authentic to yourself if you don't get the job then that's okay but if you were you know pretending to be you know somebody who you are not and then you will get the job on that basis you're you're setting yourself up for failure if you've been truly yourself never take a knockback as a as a negative because it wasn't it wasn't for you and you weren't for them and that's okay because that's going to help us strategically maneuver to the next better role where you're likely to end up loving the practice of law there's such great tips and i love what you said about knowing the company and knowing the industry and asking some really particular questions that show that you're interested because obviously so much of the appeal for for working in-house is that you get to deep dive into that one industry, that one sector, that one client, that one company. So if you're actually not inherently interested and you don't really want to do too much research before the interview, that might be a sign that maybe it isn't the right fit. Maybe it's not the company um, or the sector, the industry that is just really exciting to you. So, and I know, like, to be fair, this I'm really speaking from a place of privilege there because there's just the realities that people need jobs and there's food to be put on the table and you need a little bit of cash coming in. And so you can't necessarily take the time to be picky about the companies that Lauren's going to put forward and you're going to turn them all down because they're not necessarily the perfect thing. But all things being equal, if there's a little bit of time and you're not under a particular pressure, looking for a company where you want to go and actually, you know, do the research and be curious um, would be a good sign. Oh, passion is everything when it goes to in-house. And and I guess the only thing I would contradict to what you just said before, Mel, is really around, you know, that what those pressure points are for some people and they do exist and you need to get a job, etc. But you can get a job that is a place for you. You can get a job where you're in an exciting industry that's exciting and passionate, um, that you're excited and passionate about. And um, and it's, But it is just, you've just got to put that list of priorities together, right? And so if what's most important to you in order to be happy is, you know, a, a particular level of salary or a particular flexibility around work and life, et cetera, then they become, you know, the greatest fit factors. That's such a great point. It's such a great nuance point there. Everybody's list will be different, won't it? 
Oh, absolutely. And that is something that we need to work on very, very, very clearly at the outset. And that is in a lot of detail about, okay, if, if a job offered you this amount of money, but you could never work from home, you know, is that an acceptable dynamic? No. Okay. So what if they offered you this amount of money, this little bit less amount of money, but you could work from home one day a week. And you kind of work through all of these, like, if this, if this, if this, if this, and all of a sudden going through that process um, and, and putting lots of different variables in, it actually sort of a theme emerges and what becomes most important to you becomes very clear. And so we'll put that sort of in order of priority, what is important to you. And, and you may not have been able to put your finger on it before. You just knew that all these things were pretty important and, and that's really hard at the moment. You're likely to get multiple job offers and I mean that's something as a whole nother topic around managing that but if you're in a position where you're, you're getting multiple job offers because it is a candidate short market at the moment here in Australia in in legal recruitment there aren't enough candidates for the number of jobs going and you're likely to get multiple offers so you need to be able to discern what is the right fit for you and what is the best offer it's not just the one with the highest salary necessarily so if you've got that priority list you're going to be able to do the do that sort of deep dive on on how to analyze the right role for you in a much more effective and efficient way well said. And what a great position to be in if you're a candidate at the moment, by the sounds of it. <laughs> if you are an Australian lawyer, thinking about, even thinking about it, if you have one tiny, <laughs> tiny thought about maybe I want to get a job, a different job, maybe I could be a bit happier, maybe I could love the law a little more, and you're looking for perhaps another opportunity, we are seeing Stupid salaries, great terms, excellent flexibility, and an industry-leading, you know, employment contracts. It's very exciting time, and I think the the opportunity for junior lawyers um, and, and lawyers at all levels, but particularly junior lawyers, is not there isn't one path anymore. There's not one path um, in law, and there's not one path to in-house. There are lots of paths. And we just need to, to work through that. So if whatever stage you're at, and if you're thinking about going in-house, don't have to wait until these arbitrary PAE tick over. So yeah, I, I'd encourage you to, to reach out and, um, and speak with a great legal recruiter um, and help put that strategy together. Lauren, we're coming to the top of the hour, the end of our time. I know we could speak on this, you know, for, for su such a long time. There's a lot in there. Thank you for spending just, just a little bit of time explaining, you know, the role of a legal recruiter, what great legal recruiter, agent, partnership, relationship can look like and some of the trends that you're seeing. You've given some really great actionable tips as well. I think I really would take a lot from this if I was someone who was looking to move to my first in-house role. And if only this podcast was available when I was seven years ago, but that's that's why I wanted to bring you on. So thank you again. Oh, thanks, Mel, and congratulations on a on a wonderful podcast. It's a fantastic a fantastic source of information to in house counsel. So congratulations again, and and thank you to all of your listeners. Um, uh, we're very grateful to be here. Where can people reach out to connect with you? The home of a legal recruiter is LinkedIn, my love. So um, you can find me on there. It is Dare recruitment and my name is Lauren Dare so it's very easy like truth or dare 
we will happily play a game with you and uh, help you get on track in your career. I love that. Awesome. Well, let's leave it there. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Bye now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review for this show. Tell me what you'd love to hear more of and where you're listening from. To learn more about in-house practice, follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thanks again.